You know, we've been, we've been sharing for the last, uh, this is the third week in this series called Gen Now, talking about the generation of now, and that doesn't just mean kids, it means all of us that are alive and present in this time and in this moment. And so right now upstairs, I think we got four different classes, age groups, which requires one to two teachers in each of those classes. We got people volunteering, doing check-in, uh, and uh, I guess what I'm saying is, if you want to volunteer and be a part of that, and you feel called into that ministry, there is absolutely a place uh, for you. Um, last week, Adam did a fantastic job as he, uh, he kicked off with a sermon called Living a Legacy. Uh, not leaving a legacy, but living a legacy. And this morning, um, I've got uh, a message that I'm going to call the heart of a generation. And it really plays off of what Adam talked about. You remember his first point was being all in. And being all in, and I shared a little bit at the end of the service last week as God was starting to deal with my heart, that we realized that as, as parents, the best thing we can do for children, if we want to be good parents, it doesn't start with how we parent. It starts with our relationship with our own creator. It starts with giving our own life to Christ and being in, in, in deep relationship with him. That's where being a good parent begins. And so uh, playing off of that, I was thinking, I shared a little bit last week about, about Rosie. Uh, how, how many of y'all know what you want to be when you grow up? Some of you are grown up. Most of you are grown up here. Some of you are like, man, I don't know. I am something, but I don't know if that's what I wanted to be. And maybe I want to be something. Maybe I'm just working to retire so I can do what I really want to do. And, uh, you know, I'm somebody who's struggled my entire life with what I want to be when I grow up. And y'all can see it uh, in my life. Um, I had no idea what I really wanted to be Indiana Jones pretty much when I was a kid. Um, but I, I never really had a, a set track. Until I got in high school, and I wanted to be involved in music. I knew that. But I was talking to Rosie the other day, it's our 11-year-old daughter, and I shared a little bit of this last week, and I asked her, uh, I, she asked me, she, she struggles with this, like I wasn't struggling with this at 11, but at 11 she's like, I just don't know, Dad, what I'm going to major in in college, I, don't, I just don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up, I feel like I should know, and you know, I could go ahead and get in the early academy or whatever, like start in fifth grade so I know what I'm going to be when I grow up, and I'm like, listen. I'm 37, almost 30. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And so as I was sitting there and I was talking to her and I shared a little bit of what God just put in my heart and what I started thinking about what I really wanted her to be when she grows up. And the first thing I said is, I want you to be honest. And I said, I want you to be like a, a, a faithful follower of Jesus. I don't want you to go to church. I want you to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I want you to have good work ethic. And I started thinking of these things, the character traits, the things we, we want in our kids that it doesn't matter what major they end up in or, or what degree or what career field they end up in, but we, we find that God most of the time just finds our purpose in whatever circumstance that we're in. I promise wherever you are, God can use you circumstance that we're in I promise wherever you are God can use you and so to help her understand that and, and I really started thinking about sometimes the pressure we put on our kids 
And I don't know, this message is a little different uh, than normal. And, um, but I started thinking about the pressure sometimes we put on our kids, and maybe some of us, it was put on us when we were growing up. Um, and uh, here's what I realized looking at Rosie. The good things she does in life and the bad things she does in life will never be put on a scale. I want you to just sit on that for a minute. You know, salvation in heaven rests on one thing, faith in Jesus Christ, Right? She, she, we, we will be just, did you believe? Did you give your heart to Christ? Did you go all in with him? And yet we spend so much energy as parents trying to balance those scales. Am I the only one? Trying to make sure that there's more good there. And, and, and maybe sometimes we, we've put pressure on a generation to look more like a Christian than we did pointing them in how to be one. That, that there's a pressure and expectation of as long as everything looks right, like as long as everything looks good. You, you've seen this happen. Right? You've seen, like, as long as everything looks good, and then all of a sudden, somebody is having a baby out of wedlock. Right? And then all of a sudden, it, like, whoa, that's out in the open now. And so what I started asking myself, what matters is the heart of this generation? That the heart, out of, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, like the only way God can really change behavior, like we can do it on the surface as parents, and we can, you know, ground and all this stuff and discipline. And all these things are good. You want your children to be good. I'm not saying let them do whatever they want. I'm saying you want them to be good, but that is not what matters when they get to heaven, when they die someday. What matters is their heart. So how do you reach a heart of a generation? How do you reach the heart of a community? How do you transform a community? Uh, it's one heart at a time. One heart at a time. I've shared several things as we started this series um, that I believe God is able to rewrite the narrative, the history of this place of this community, of this region, of the mountains, through a generation. I'm praying that myself and us can get obsessed with the hearts of our children as much as we are their behavior. Okay? This is, this is where I want to start and set this, this context. And I want to go to a scripture and I want to look at this community where there was a, a work of the, the, the Holy Spirit. That was a new thing that happened here. And how God moved in this community. How, did, how, how does God transform a community and a place? And so we're going to go to the book of Acts. And we're just going to read through some scripture. And see how did God do it there? How did, how did God go after their hearts? Not after uh, their, 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 uh, you know, their, their 
Facebook profile and the, the thing that we can put out there and the, the, the cover we can create and, and the, the mirage of life we can create of that we're living and that we're doing. But how does he go after the heart? Um, and so we're going to go there. Is that all right? We're going to go to Acts chapter 11. I think we're going to start reading in verse 19. It's about the church in Antioch. Y'all have heard of Antioch, haven't you? That's the first place followers of Jesus were called Christians. And we're not going to get all the way to that verse. But that's just to give you some reference. Let's read starting in verse 19, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We're going to get through verse 23 today. But we're going to take it a little bit at a time. Verse 19 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. I want to tell you just a little bit of background about Antioch first before we get into this, this, this conversation. This was a, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It is now located in Turkey. Uh, this was a place that uh, that that was um, uh, it, it was it was an in the empire. This was like their sports center. This is where, if you ever watch Ben Hur, this is where the races, the chariot races, the horses uh, happen. Uh, this is uh, a, a place of culture. Uh, this is a place. Uh, where sex was worshipped, where there was a, a temple of Daphne, where there were prophetesses, where they, they were really religious prostitutes, okay? This is a place that knew nothing about God. This is a place when you say, man, the world's getting bad, and, uh, well, this was 2,000 years ago, and it was way worse in this town in Antioch than it is in Pikeville. Okay? And God flipped this town upside down. And he can do the same here. Verse 20 says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. There's really three things I want us to think about, and I didn't write the points out clear. I think you'll get the gist of them. Uh, but I want you to see here is that in this situation, there were some people who went. Where did they go? Uh, they went to a place that did not, uh, did not look like themselves. They went into a culture that was very uncomfortable they went into a place where Jesus uh, was not evident and was not known they went into a place that felt hopeless that you know if you're if you're going to go plant a church you, you go plant a church where you think you can get some Christians and believers together and, and but there were some people that went into this town they went into a place to a culture that was not churched that did not know Jesus and I, I think, man, could we just be that, some of them? Guess what we don't know? We don't even know their names. Did it matter? Are we in ministry to make a name? 
No, just some of them did something. They led, they followed the lead of the Holy Spirit, and they went to this town, Antioch. And I think about the places that, uh, that we might go and the places our church has gone uh, into situations that are difficult uh, in ministry, um, things like uh, addiction and uh, the families that are impacted by it, the kids that are impacted by it, the, the adults that struggle with it. Uh, on all different levels, and, and, and how, do we, how, how do we go in? And I was, as I was praying about this, I was thinking, man, we pray a lot uh, for, for people in addiction, that God would change their heart. And I think maybe sometimes that, that we, maybe God needs to change our heart about how we see people in addiction. And that maybe the path to helping people in addiction is actually the church. That, that, that he doesn't just change their heart, but he changed our heart, and we, we no longer see them as, 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 a, as a different, as hopeless. That we actually see them as someone who needs compassion, as someone that needs a, a, a helping hand, that they are stuck in sometimes desperate situations, that this isn't an illness once addiction comes in, that, we, that God maybe changes our heart. It's pretty bad. Sometimes we can get a little like... Uh, like, we've got it figured out, and they don't type mindset about our faith. Uh, I was thinking about, in, in our region, of generational poverty. And I was thinking, uh, at the same time, about generational wealth. We sometimes think of people who struggle of, of difficulty getting by, but we don't think about the, the people who struggle uh, with, with, with being controlled by money and the dangers that it brings and that they need Christ and, broke, and to be broken and healed and rescued just as much uh, as the rest of us. I think I was, as I was praying about this series, one of the things I, I started thinking about praying about was a series on, on families. And because uh, we see so much brokenness. Do y'all see brokenness in families? In the nuclear family? In birth mother, birth father, kids? And I see this brokenness, and, and right, your, your, your instinct is to think, man, we need to, we need to help people understand and how to, how to value and how, how to, to, to be committed in, in that family structure because out of that, all kinds of other brokenness comes. And then I start thinking, no, 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 no. I, this is what I just said about kids and tell them to be bad and good, right? What, what I, so what I want to say is no matter what situation you're in in that is that there is absolutely mercy and grace and, and ways God can come into that situation and do amazing things. I'm not saying just go do what you want. It doesn't excuse it or justify it. But don't think because you are in that situation that it's hopeless. It's not. So they went, they, got, they went to this place, they went to this town, they went to a culture, they went to, to people that needed to hear something. 
They needed to hear something. And here's what they said. It says, Antioch, and they began to speak to Greeks also, uh, telling them that they were terrible sinners and that they were going to die and go to hell. Man, you all are like, did he really just say that? Is he serious right now? Everybody's just looking at me. It says he went to them to tell them some good news. Not some bad news. Some good news. He didn't go there to tell them they should try harder, that they should try to look like them, that they should live right. You need to quit doing this and start doing that. It was very, very simple. The good news about the Lord Jesus. What's the opposite of good news? It's bad news. The bad news is what I said earlier, right? We hear that. We hear that message, right? Y'all hear that message from people? Like consistently telling you, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. You just better hope, hope that you've done enough good today that you might get into heaven. This is not the message. This is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. For John 3.17 said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. This, this, uh, anybody go to Sunday school when you're growing up? Did you spend more time memorizing and talking about the Ten Commandments or the overwhelming grace and mercy of God? Which one? Ten Commandments? You know what the purpose of the law is? You know what the purpose of the Ten Commandments were? It was real simple. It was not uh, for the New Testament, for our church, for you today. The, the, old, the, 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 the Ten Commandments and all the laws and rules in the Bible are not about your salvation. They were intended for one purpose, to, to one, show our fault. Right, to look at me, man, just like I've shared with you, you know, I've lied, I've stolen. You all remember the candy bar when I was about eight or nine at the gas station I told you about? This is is to put ourselves up against it. Couldn't do it, can't do it. If that's it, if that is it, I'm out. And so the good news is that there was one who could, who came to fulfill the law. And and this brokenness is meant to show us and point us to like, you need a sacrifice. Like you need to be saved. And all you have to do is be, to be saved is, is, is profess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Christ was resurrected, this man that really walked the earth. You know, nobody, no historians debate or argue about whether Jesus existed. He was a man. He did teach. And I think sometimes we get so caught up and think, man, Jesus is such a good example to follow. 
I want to live and be more like him. Jesus is not an example to follow. He is a relationship to be had. And so the good news is that the law points us our brokenness. We can't do it. We mess up. We mess up. We mess up. It's not good enough. It doesn't matter. That just tells you you need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. All you got to do is get Jesus. And something happens supernatural when you give your life, when you really get broken. I'm not saying like, oh, I, I, went, I just went to the altar because I thought the good thing to do was to join the church. And, you know, and, and, and so I got baptized and now I looked like I was part of the others. But, but, but for some reason when I came back up out of the water, I didn't leave all the guilt and the shame and the condemnation there. That I really didn't accept and understand the fact, the true fact that I was really made new. And that that's what baptism represents. is the spiritual, internal, heart cleansing that happens when you give your heart to Christ. And it begins to do some things. It renews your mind. You start to think differently. Now, I'm not saying you immediately become perfect. We never become perfect. On this side of heaven. But we find the Bible does teach that we grow closer and closer in righteousness and holiness. And after we've given our heart to Christ, like we just have a hunger to be more and more like him. Not because we hope he likes us more or to add value and think we want to make him happy. It is because we have such gratitude for what he did for us. We are so thankful, man. I won't be like you. You were, you were good. And, and, and so we follow him. And, and what he shared was the good news. You'll find in the strictest legalistic environment, the pressure to dress right, talk right, be right, look right. Y'all know any of those places? Broken hearts all over the place. You find broken families all over the place. Affairs, adultery, abuse. Because you can't fix this from the outside. It takes Jesus fixing it from the inside. I got this little video I think is next. Um, I got sh I'm going to show it and then I got one more point. Um, that I want to share with you and a, a couple of stories. But this is a video about the good news. Kind of describe it for you. What is the good news? Uh, and this is by the band Wren Collective. We sing one of their songs here called Rescuer. But I want you to hear uh, this video. Oh, I lied. I lied so much. Oh, I got it at the end. We'll do it at the end. Let's wait on it. All right. See? Lied just now. Got to have Jesus. So he began to speak to the Greeks also telling them about the good news about the Lord Jesus. 11.21 says the Lord, Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. It was so simple. They just went to a place. They went to the people. And all they did is like, hey, you know Jesus? You ever heard about Jesus? No. Bethany and I watched this uh, missionary on uh, YouTube. They went to New Guinea, I believe it was. Went out into this wilderness 
uh, where, I mean, th these people spoke a different language. They had, I mean, it was like three-day hike to get to their little village. They lived in trees. Um, they took a translator with them. And even in this place and that time, they'd never even heard of Jesus. I mean, never heard of him. Didn't even know what they were talking about. And seeing, and we grew up in the Bible Belt. I mean, pretty much everybody you bump into has heard of Jesus in this place, in the story. And so seeing them share that to somebody completely brand new and see how broken they got when there was like leaders of this village who, who when he was speaking back, he was like, I can't sleep at night because I was, in, I was in wars with other villages when I was in my 20s and I killed a lot of men. And I got feel guilty over that and I can't sleep. And for them to say, you know, there was a man 2,000 years ago walked this earth and he was God. He was the one who made you. And he loved you so much that this is not what matters, what you've done. All you have to do is put your faith in him. And the story, the birth, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these people were just getting saved and giving their life. And the Holy Spirit was working in this amazing way. I think, honestly, I think that might be easier than in a region that has been, had so much religion. Of people who've been hurt by churches, who have been who have been jaded by what they thought Jesus was and what he looked like, and, and, and they, they put maybe too much emphasis on a church, which is just broken people trying to point people to Jesus, and sometimes we mess up. But the hope is in Jesus. It says a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22: News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. To Antioch, see what's going on. This is they didn't send the you know it wasn't a private message, it wasn't an Instagram, it wasn't a Snapchat. Somehow this was so incredible what God was doing. It spread by word of mouth all the way back to Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas down there. Go to Antioch, see what in the world is going on because something was happening there. This was the first time the gospel was taken to outside of the Jewish people. Gentiles is what they were called, the Greeks. The people who had no place having a relationship with God for years is what the Jews thought. They were outside of the chosen nation of Israel. And yet we see here, this is the first time they've gone to Antioch and they start telling about Jesus and the people start getting saved. What in the world is going on? Go see what's going on. Since Barnabas down there, so we know that they went. We know that what they spoke was just really simple, good news. In verse 23, it says, when he arrived and saw what some people had done. No. When he went and saw what uh, the church had done. When he went and saw what the pastor had done. He went and saw what the grace of God had done. They gave credit in the right place. They went and saw what the grace of God had done. How did the grace of God manifest? Through some of them. <laughs> Can we be the some of them? 
Can we be the church, the one that's called out, the one God calls to use and manifest the grace of God to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers? In this generation, to find grace, we will have to show it to them. If we want to let God get to their heart, we've got to show them grace. We've got to let them know, just like Adam talked about when he wrecked, his, wrecked into his dad's truck and the way he's been with Hucky and the way, yeah, we're going to point you to good, but when Rosie's done wrong, you better come tell me when you've done wrong. I'm going to love you anyway. Because, listen, I'm your dad, and guess what? I did not do everything perfect. I made mistakes, made bad decisions. And guess what? The grace of God was present through all that. We were driving to school the other morning. We were listening to this song. I'm going to look up the words because I can do that. I have a phone here. I got service, Wi-Fi. I think I'm going to look it up. Watch it not work. We were driving, and I think I was taking her to school. Um, we were listening to Million Little Miracles. Have y'all listened to that song yet? Uh, Elevation Worship and Maverick City Music. And this is, me and Beth love this song. It says this, all my life I've been carried by grace don't ask me how cause I can't explain it's nothing short of a miracle I'm here I've got some blessings that I don't deserve I've got some scars but that's how you learn it's nothing short of a miracle I'm here I think it over and it doesn't add up I know it comes from above the chorus is, I've got miracles on miracles. A million little miracles. Miracles on miracles. Count your miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. And man, that song just takes me to that verse in my own life and say, I can see what the grace of God has done. And so I was telling Rosie, I mean, this is a short trip to Pikeville, like 15 minutes with traffic in the mornings. And uh, so I was telling her this song. I was like, you know, you're a miracle. You know what? I was, I was, so I was like, you know how I even ended up in Pikeville? And I, I thought about back when I was in high school, and I was supposed to be going to Moorhead State University. I was going to get a music scholarship. I was going to be in, uh, a piano major. And I was taking lessons at the Mountain Arts Center. And uh, I had a, an audition for a scholarship at Moorhead coming up, like in the next week. And I had one more practice with my piano teacher. I was going to go go over that music one more time before I went to the audition. And so we got there to the Mountain Arts Center, and guess what happened? He didn't show up. And you know what I did? I got mad. I was disappointed. I was frustrated. And, and through a set of other grace-filled circumstances, I'd made uh, I had a band director 
in McGough County for one year. I was, I'm from McGough County, by the way. Some of y'all might not knew, know that. We had a band director my senior year. He was only there one year. He left after that year. I was never in school band, uh, but he talked me into joining the band, and he had a friend that taught at Pikeville College, was teaching music. He said, you should go up to this jazz improv class in the evenings to Pikeville one evening a week. It was a community education class. So uh, I said, all right, I'll go do that. It sounds fun. So me and one of my friends, Jason, JB, we started coming up here on the evenings. I was a senior in high school. It was the first time I'd ever been downtown Pikeville. Didn't know there was a downtown. Thought it stopped at J.C. Penney. <laughs> that class I was coming to was right after band, and there was a girl in band that I saw. And her name was Bethany. I didn't know it then. And so the, the music teacher there at Pible College started saying, you should just come here. You don't need to go to Moorhead. And, and uh, I really didn't care about school. I was not a great student. I was kind of smart. I had a pretty good ACT score, not great grades, because I didn't apply myself very much. And I found out I could get a full ride at Pikeville College with my ACT score. And so when that, my piano teacher didn't show up for the lesson, I was like, well, I'm not going to Moorhead. I'm just not going to go. I'm going to go to Pikeville College. Take that. In my disappointment and frustration was one of the greatest things God ever did for me. I was one, uh, one uh, music lesson away from a totally different life. I'm not even in Pikeville. I don't even meet Bethany. I don't even, this church, the, the, and I look and I say, God, these moments and times, and can I just look and not see moments and mistakes and brokenness and, and mess ups, and can I just look back and see the grace, what the grace of God has done? And Barnabas, when we got there and he saw and he saw everything, that, what the grace of God had done. By the way, when I went to Pikeville College and I sat down in my first music class, the person who sat down beside me was Bethany. By the way, the first place where we had church service, let me do the math. What year was that? It's been six years ago, so it was 2015. The same room 14 years later, after the first time we sat down together, we had a church service, and God was starting a church. He was doing something new, and that became new beginnings. This is the mission of our church. It's real simple. It's been this way since we started. I hadn't really, I think about it all the time. It's in our business meetings when we have them. We talk about it. But that first line is it. Not the, not, this is not my mission as a pastor. If you are part of our congregation, you're an attendee, this is our mission. It is so simple. The first thing is just to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Just tell people the good news and let Jesus do the rest. 
Let the Holy Spirit work. Let people's lives be changed through the good news of what Jesus has done for them. The second one is to equip believers to become leaders. I'm not always going to be here. I could get hit by a bus this week. Ain't that optimistic? I had a boss tell me one time, you know, I need you to be ready in case I get hit by a bus. Just don't push me in front of the bus. My heart and God's heart for this place is to raise up leaders and train leaders and, and maybe send them out to plant other churches and start ministries within the church. Like this is part of the role is to create disciples who are creating disciples who are creating disciples that we're all telling the good news of Jesus. And then the third thing is really to bring our, our believers together, this community, and just love on our neighbors without pretense, without caring whether they deserve it, whether they've earned it. Because what did you earn? I mean, what did we earn? But to show compassion on our neighbors so they're like, I don't understand why you love me so much, why you care, why you're so giving. And we say, let me tell you about a man that I didn't know, but I met. He turned my life around. He can do the same. For you. I shared this this week in our church group. If you follow us on Facebook but you're not uh, a part of our um, New Beginnings church community, we have a group page that's just everybody that uh, has attended. Um, that's where we can share a little more communication with one another and, and prayer requests and encourage one another. Um, and so I shared this earlier. Don't just invite people to church. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to your home. Invite them into your heart. Tell them you love them. Tell them you'll always be there for them. You are the church. You all are the church, not the building. And so if we really want to transform a region, you all got to help. You got to be a part of it. You got to see it's so simple for you to go to your kids, to your friends, to your coworkers, and just share truth with them. Just talk to them about Jesus. You don't have to bring condemnation on them, tell them everything they're doing wrong and they got to get it right, and this is why you're going to hell. You don't have to do that. You, they understand that. They're broken. They know. You've been there. You can share the good news with them. What do you think when you hear the word gospel? Do you imagine a monk praying or a saint walking around with a halo over his head? Or do you imagine that family who live in your street who never smoke, drink, or swear on how annoying it is when their lawn is always perfect and their children look like tiny angels who floated down from the golden streets on high? Well, it actually doesn't mean any of that. We looked it up. The word gospel just means good news. It's not a religious concept reserved for holy people. It's just fantastic news for absolutely everyone. No exceptions. Good news for broken people and those who have been abused by life, that no one is beyond repair. Good news for the outcasts and the ones who don't fit in, that there are no outsiders to the love of God. Good news for the ones who are burned out on church and hurt by religion, that Jesus is a person in love with you, not an institution that makes mistakes. Good news for the ones who find prayer boring, the Bible difficult, and just aren't very spiritual, because grace is much bigger than that. 
Good news for those who have everything they want but still feel empty. Because satisfaction and joy doesn't come from cash or a nice house or a big fancy car. It comes from knowing why you were made and the one who made you. So, now for the awkward question. If we have such unbelievably good news for absolutely everyone, how come people aren't lining up to hear it? How come people roll their eyes and keep walking when they hear street preachers yelling it at the top of their lungs? How come the local gospel mission isn't bursting at the seams like the Apple Store at Christmas time? I think we're maybe telling it wrong. You see, Christians aren't perfect. I'm sure you figured that out by now. As a wise man once told us, if a Christian gets disconnected from Christ, you're just left with Ian. And this guy, Ian, can be a real nasty chap. He's proud, mean, and more interested in the rules than people. Ian makes it sound like the gospel is only good news for people who are just like him and don't challenge any of his assumptions. Ian used the gospel to put himself on a pedestal so he can point out other people's flaws from up there and feel better about himself. At his worst, Ian tried to twist the promises of the gospel to prey on the vulnerable and to take their hard-earned money. And Ian even had the audacity to turn the gospel into campaign slogans and political propaganda to gain power for himself. We need to wrestle the gospel back off Ian and make it sound like good news again. Because if it doesn't sound like good news, it isn't the gospel and it isn't Jesus. You see, if religion doesn't lead you to Jesus, then it's a train you don't ever want to get on. It's just not enough on its own. We need to reclaim some of the amazing things that Ian has hijacked and make them gospel again. Things like the word evangelical. Now, don't be scared. This word is not political ammunition. It's not a pre-warning of an impending seals pitch. It just means carrier of good news. Isn't that beautiful? We don't have to peddle a religious product or bang the drum of any political party. We just carry good news without agenda. You see, here's the human problem. We are all aching for real, meaningful, joyful life. But let's be honest, none of us have found it on our own. Life is not some philosophical idea that's always out of reach. It's a person, and he is reaching out to us. You may have heard the saying that the world will never understand the good news until they understand the bad news. But in a world so filled with bad news, fake news, tragic news, I just don't know if that's true anymore. I don't know if they can hear it. It's not that we don't believe in the problem of sin and the brokenness of humanity, but friends, we have a way better story to tell. We have a cross, we have a resurrection, we have a coming king, we have a rescuer and a savior who can put all things right. We are telling the story that Jesus is and always will be the real good news. That idea might be too simple for some or too naive for others, but that's the amazing truth. That's the gospel for absolutely everyone, mm -hmm. including Ian. Yay! And that's good news worth sharing. talking to Harker the other day, our two-year-old, and uh, I was telling him, Bethany was standing there with me, and I was telling him, and I was talking to him, 
And we were talking about generations, and I was just praying over him and, and, and talking over him and thinking, uh, God can break strongholds in him, generational strongholds. You know, when I was growing up, we had aunts that always said, man, he's got that Arnett temper. Y'all got strongholds in your family, things that are passed down? We got family dysfunction. Y'all have family dysfunction? Listen, in my family, we just soon not talk to a brother, sister, parent, child for three or four years. I mean, it's an epidemic. And I'm praying God break that in us. There's a sentimental moment. And like good two-year-olds do, he hit me in the face. <laughs> I invite you to go with me. To go with his church. To go with God's church. And sharing the good news. The Bible says we will not grow weary in doing good in due season. We will reap what we sow. We're going to sing this invitation song as we get ready for a baptism. And I want to give you a moment to reflect. And maybe this message spoke to you and said, you know what? I don't know that I've felt that feeling of newness. That the old has really become new. I don't know that I've really given my heart. Like I thought, and maybe you're feeling that. Call to just pray and just go all in with Jesus this morning. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Our church, I want to give you a moment to just reflect. Say, where's God calling us to go? Maybe, maybe we can just be the sum that went. And it made all the difference in a place and in families. Because we did one thing. We pointed people. Jesus. Stand with us as we sing this song. It's pretty simple. It just says, Jesus, you alone.